understanding family karma and harmonizing complex family dynamics with Johnny Pollard. Hello, welcome to the Vital Vedas show. I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator. My name is Dylan Smith and honestly, I don't do this. I don't think I've ever done it on the show, but my heart is like radiating it. I can feel a strong sensation in my heart and I'm being serious. I'm not like making a drama queen or anything, but because this episode, just thinking about it when I'm recording this intro, like a week or more after, it's just making my heart sparkle because this episode is so profound. It's so important. It is with an amazing, amazing man, Johnny Pollard, who I'm so grateful for to be on this show. He's a brother of mine, a beautiful man. He's based in Northern Rivers, Northern New South Wales. And he is one of the, in my opinion, one of the greatest teachers of Vedic knowledge right now in the world. Johnny Pollard was the program founder and head teacher of One Giant Mind, a world-renowned meditation teacher who studied how to unfold human potential for over 20 years under great masters in the East and the West. His programs include One Giant Mind, Learn to Meditation app, and that's taught over quarter million people how to meditate. Johnny's at the forefront of authenticity in the meditation teacher landscape, making practical translations of ancient teachings for a modern lifestyle. He is what I feel is an exemplar of a Siddha. A Siddha is one human with perfected divine human super capabilities. Super divine human capabilities. Some would say supernatural capabilities. But these are capabilities like happiness, love, joy, compassion, friendliness. You see Johnny and you can just feel his aura of, of bliss and of that high state of consciousness just to, which emulates others. Everyone can feel that who's, who's met Johnny in person. So we're very lucky to have him. He was on the show back for episode number 22, absolutely addressing anxiety. So we, that was very valuable. And this of course is so, so valuable about family karma, family dynamics, when right now we're in a time where not only friends and society uh, having quarrels and uh, separated, but families are separated now and they're having this tension. So this is at such an important time with what's created with this pandemic. So this is, this is what we're going to talk about. And there's a lot of things to hear. If you want to, you know, respect and give back to this show, that'd be much appreciated. Leave a review, take a screenshot, share it on Instagram story, tag Vital Veda, tag One Giant Mind, tag Johnny Pollard. But yeah, check out One Giant Mind for more information and I hope you appreciate and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, Johnny. Good to Great see to you. Great to be here, mate. I was wondering when I was going to get another invite. Yes, it, well, it's been on the cards, but this is a, <laughs> it's, it's been now, you know, this topic has come with a, you know, a slight sense of perhaps urgency or it's a bit strong term urgency, but definitely uh, in due time. So I wanted to, I would like to do it in person, but this was, I wanted to do this sooner. So since we've interviewed you initially, there's a new thing we do on the Vital Veda podcast. And that is, I'm going to ask you, first of all, what did you do this morning? What was your routine today or your dinacharya? Uh, this morning, I had a, a two private sessions 
I, you know, I run a private practice um, where I'm mentoring and providing, you know, a framework for people to, to discover themselves more, more deeply. And so I saw two clients this morning, uh, snuggled my little baby boy, Hamalia Deva. Um, <laughs> he was three months old this morning as we listened to this and played with my two-year-old daughter, uh, sorry, three-year-old daughter before she went off to play group, had a delicious breakfast, had a long heartfelt conversation with my partner, Carla, just about current affairs. <laughs> you know, there's some things that, you know, we, we're trying to sort of reconcile within ourselves with what's going on. And we, we, we have a habit of talking every day about everything that we feel and not letting a day go past actually without really sort of connecting. We had a little window, so we did that. Catch, caught up with a really old friend on, on the phone, which I haven't been able to do much of because we've been so busy. And that was really lovely just to connect with him again because I haven't spoken to him for such a long time. And, and then now I'm talking with you. It's 11.30, so it's been a, an action-packed morning. Beautiful. Yeah. So the topic today, of course, is, is these complexities of family dynamics and family karma because it is such a dynamic relationships with family and definitely, you know, we'll go beyond our family to our friends and to our greater, larger family. But perhaps first, would you like to clarify the word karma as it can be typically misunderstood and specifically in relation to perhaps the family and those relationships? Yeah. My perspective on karma is that it is a, a, the underlying universal intelligence that ensures that everything stays on track, moving in the direction of its final destination, which is the river returning back to the ocean. And karma is the, the riverbanks that basically guide the water, guide consciousness. And our journey is very dynamic. We might be moving in this direction and then we hit the riverbank that causes the river to flow, you know, this way and then that way and it sloshes and it creates complexity and incurrence and, and, and patterns and whatever. And essentially what it does is it, it ensures that we, we, we stay on track. It's like nature's corrective services, mm-hmm. a, a non-punitive, definitive, strong boundary for consciousness to evolve in a very specific way. And it's a, an extraordinary thing that, you know, only requires that we surrender fully to and listen to as our great teacher, you know, to, to just take our cues from what nature is delivering us through circumstance and finer level of feeling. And so the traditional uh, definition, karma, is any action that binds us, that, that is determining of our direction, our pathway. You know, the river has very little, the stream has very little choice but to follow the banks unless there is a swelling of the river that enables us to move out past the banks. And when we get into higher states of consciousness, we can cause that effect of a swelling over the riverbanks, transcend our karma and become something beyond, you know, just the predestined path that, that was before us. So when we, when we think about, you know, action that binds us and guides us, you know, we can look at that as being, you know, a negative thing and something that's limiting. That's kind of a bit of a waste of time 
you know, we just need to embrace karma as the great inevitable that is, you know, the, the guiding force. And what it leads us to is the confluence of dharma, where the two rivers meet and karma becomes the, the impetus by which we, we become stable in dharma. And dharma is simply the, the expression of our true nature, the establishment, the awareness of being, our beingness and living in harmony with nature, all of nature. And the, the karma is the, the narrative that draws dharma into action. It, it draws us into contact with the world in a very specific way. And our dharma becomes the healing of our karma and the karma of everybody else, the liberating of the bondage. So, so. Um, when we make reference to family karma, we're talking about the bonds or the bondage, the, the, the ties that we have to souls that we have traveled through many incarnations with and chosen to, to join in this very special union where we are bound not only spiritually but genetically on, on the level of our DNA where we carry the, the shared imprints of the past now with our ancestry, which comes with a lot of memory or karma, if you like. And our role is to share in a procession of awakening and resolving that which limits the proliferation of consciousness, that which contains consciousness from being fully expressed, restricts it. And it is the, the karma of families that is the most powerful, the most generally the most impactful, the most challenging to resolve, but yet the most liberating ultimately when we can get to the root of, of the challenges that it, it presents us. So, you know, I see family karma as the, you know, as, as the, uh, probably the most powerful teacher. Yeah. Definitely is one of the most powerful karmas. And my question was going to be, and you kind of answered it is like, so we've been funneled in by a greater intelligence to be born with these souls and you know, how important is it to interact with that? I mean, could it just be like, obviously we know families are important, but like, isn't it just like any other human? And then you alluded to, you know, but that is once you resolve that, you do experience this great, profound liberation. Hmm. Yeah, just like, and yeah, how important really are families? I mean, do I have to give them the same attention that I give to Joe Blow down the road? Like, mm-hmm. what's... <laughs> or, or friends that you really love hanging out with that you consider yeah. yourself to be more close with than perhaps your family. It's, exactly. it's a relative thing. It's non-prescriptive. You know, mm. a river can be very wide, right, and the banks can hardly be felt. There is a lot of stream and freedom inside of the river where if you're in the center, which, that you know, is often referred to as kriya, the center of the stream where the torrent is the strongest, the flow and the, the feeling of being able to effortlessly surrender to nature's pull is really clear. And if you've got a wide river, it means that you've got some latitude in choice as to whether you, you know, interact with the karma. And it, it's really determined by your own sense of, your own sensibility, your own, your own conscience, the awareness of the need of it, of the interaction with your family. You know, in some instances, I have friends and clients and whatever that, you know, have very little to do with their blood family. And 
it's kind of like there's an agreement there that that's all fine and they're kind of amicable in their their agreement that they don't need to hang out very often they don't need to see each other very often and so there is an established resolve there to an extent and perhaps in another lifetime it'll be more relevant that they do need to be closer together you know we we can observe this that you know in some instances it's totally fine and then there are other instances where circumstance brings family together and it's enforced and that it's a part of the river that it starts to get much funneled and and thinner not as wide and so there's not a lot of latitude all the water gets channeled into this very very narrow pathway pass and you slosh up hard against the 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 sides of the riverbank you feel the karma you know it's not a still calm serene river like Ganga you know there are parts of Ganga where it gets thinner and you know there are rocks in there and all kinds of things and it it gets very very tumultuous it becomes like a rapid and you know there are instances where our our family karma is like that and we're choiceless and we have to be in that and we have to ride the tumultuous nature of it and engage with it and it feels very difficult to to step away from it if we feel choiceless to do that and in those instances, the, the key is to, to the extent to which you can surrender, embrace it, mm. accept it, be as open-hearted as you can, patient and, and compassionate is, the, is probably the most important word. And in doing so, yeah. you're doing everything that you can do to take responsibility for the role that you play in the, in the dynamic. And at the same time, it's very important to very, be very clear about the sustainability based on the extent to which there is reciprocity. You know, if there is reciprocity of that sentiment, compassion and patience and all of that, then there's a pathway for resolve. If there is not, and there is denial or resistance for, you know, of, of a willingness to take responsibility for the role that other parties play in the relationship, then it's very important that you have boundaries, that you implement those boundaries lovingly and you you create sufficient space for the other parties in the relationship to have time and space to reflect on whether the relationship is actually important to them or not. Mm-hmm. And if they are to, you know, to be able to, to have the opportunity to accept the terms by which you're willing to, to interact. And this is really important and it's it's not a set and forget thing you know it's not like you know i'm sorry but we can no longer talk ever again mm. or uh you know there's no there should I, I don't recommend there being any absolute position rather just being really clear about what your position is right now relative to the capacity for reciprocity for 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 being able to see each other and really be willing to let go of the narrative of blame and, and, and being a victim. Mm. Now, in some instances, certain relationships, you know, require a time of that, you know, in the development of, of, uh, in people's journeys, you know, it's an important part of the process of, of healing and recovering and grieving that they do acknowledge the extent to which they may perhaps have been, you know, subject to somebody's ignorance in a, in a perhaps in a violent way or or whatever, and that's going to take some time for recovery. And 
you know, again, it, 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 all of this is non-prescriptive. It all comes back down to your sensibility and your willingness, your, your sense of safety, a sense of inner security, to be able to step into the boldly into the unknown and confront pain, confront difficult emotions, to have difficult conversations, to hold space despite your pain. You know, but but exercising this capacity is the fast track to exercising, you know, what we truly are as human beings. It's an absolutely subjective topic. Yeah, that's why we're being so general because yeah, you have and I think what you said about being present is really important. Like what is the best what is the most evolutionary thing to be doing right now in terms of attending to the relationship. And I think, you know, more looking at the people, you know, who perhaps are in a time of a bit more divisiveness and detachment or not the greatest relationships in, in with their families, you know, it, it will either be you gotta now is a time to stay detached for a bit because something has to resolve without you getting so involved. And it's just such a or is it, you know, how much energy do I put into how much of my time do I attend to this? It's, and of course, that will always be there to some extent, that pull to give that energy on, on whatever layer. Maybe it's just, I don't have to see you in person. You're still in my awareness. I don't even have to talk to you. But that, that family karma is so strong. And it's just interesting because, of course, this is, again, no prescription. It's everyone is just in such different situations. But yeah, I just want to explore for those who are in a state of detachment and separated from their family for whatever reason, whether it's conflict or it's, you know, they're just so different on their paths. But I would like people to consider, and, I, and again, it's so different for everyone, you know, about taking steps to perhaps bridging that connection. Mm. What, what can people be doing? Because that's assuming and that's saying that, you know, we think family is important, even if you're being sexually abused as a child or violently abused. There's still, there's some karmic thing. So, I, of course, there's so many ways to how to resolve it. But just for those people who perhaps feel that within themselves to connect more and link in more. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there is a kind of equation that you, we can draw on to determine, you know, the, the importance or value or relevance of a family relationship that we may have some resistance engaging with because it's just uncomfortable for anybody that's doing this work. And I'm making an assumption if they're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming that they're, they're doing inner work, that they understand the value of, you know, having a daily sadhana and committing themselves to revealing ever deeply the, the truth and the, the greatest truth at least from the Vedic perspective, is that we are the expression of one whole indivisible consciousness field expressed as a, a, in multiplicity, in an infinite array of variation, all seeking to be liberated from the appearance of separation and to reunite as one, one whole thing. We refer to that as unity, mm -hmm. unity consciousness. This is the greatest pull in us, the strongest stream in us. And 
the extent to which you feel that, you feel that pull, will determine to what extent something, a subject like this is even relevant to you. You know, in some instances, there are individuals that are doing inner work that have just declared family relationships a closed book. It's like, for this life, I'm just not going there because it's too painful, it's too complex, they're not on board, they have no understanding of who I am, and this is what needs to happen. And that will will most likely be the, the most appropriate thing to do. The question is, to what extent does it consume your awareness on a day-to-day basis? How much time are you involuntarily having to invest in relationships that you have declared that you don't want to be in or want to have, and despite being absent from them, not participating in them, internally you are still consumed by them? This means that the karma is lively. It's, it's, it's a pertinent, relevant thing to be addressed. And the equation, the formula that I use to assist me in bringing resolve when I find of the, historically that I found myself consumed by relationships that felt like they just weren't going to move forward. The other person just didn't seem engaged for my own ability to sleep at night and to find resolve. I would do an audit on the prejudice that I hold, the judgments that I have of them, the extent to which I see them in their limited conditional state, where I am refusing to see them in their true light as divine souls on a journey of awakening where I lack compassion and insight about their condition and where perhaps I might be hypocritical in my judgments. And to the extent that I am willing to make myself available if they were to reciprocate in this internal reflection. And so I go through that exercise and do a big audit on it and discover an enormous amount about myself and write it down, memorialize it, ceremonialize it and say, you know, this is my understanding of this situation and I wish to be free of it. And the extent to which it can be a shared experience, I make myself available. But you can't always make the other person come to the party. At the very least, what I'm doing is taking as much responsibility as I can for the role that I play and then using my discernment to determine what is appropriate. I come with, very, you know, at that point, you, you, what becomes very clear is the boundaries, the line in which you have to draw to say, I'll come this far, but I won't go any further because that'll pull us into some old dynamic, the unsustainability again. We'll just fall into that old habit. I need to declare my position, my power, which is my open, loving, compassion heart, to be here present with you, to explore how we can resolve this. And if we can't, then I bow reverently to you for the time that we've had together and the journey that we've spent. I'm so grateful for everything that I've learned 
with you. And now, for now, I'm going to move in this direction. And this is okay. This is okay and it's important. But we don't want to take our leave with resentment. We don't want to take our leave with our judgments and our prejudice and our, you know, our disdain and our self-righteousness and us feeling like a, a victim. There's no resolve there. And you will carry it around like a, a bag of bricks. So we must do the work. And the way that I characterize doing the work was I sit with myself, how can I take responsibility? I've been doing this for years, so I made it sound very simple. But the reality is, you know, it's a skill that's developed and it's something you've got to sit with for a long time. And, you know, I've had plenty of training in my time. I've had to let go of a lot of relationships that, you know, were dear to me that caused me a great deal of pain in learning how to do this. And it's only through the intolerance of, of feeling pain that I became adept at what I'm describing right now. And yeah, does that make sense? What I've, what I've just shared yeah, with you? Yes, absolutely. And I want to get into more like specific in that. So say someone said, okay, uh, this is my boundary. You're not coming here. I'm going to leave or detach or go my own path. And they go with that, still that resentment or that feeling of, you know, I've chosen this, but, you know, my family keeps reaching out to me and, you know, telling me off. And I don't, I'm not comfortable with this current relationship, but I really don't want to go past that boundary. So I think there's something different about family where the boundaries blur and change and especially when it's parents. I was speaking to my teacher the other day about certain medical interventions and family talking about them and he, <laughs> you know, yeah. talking about it and trying to tell each other what to do and he was just like, listen to mother, <laughs> you know, like unless the mother's, especially first the mother and then the father, like there's this certain thing where, and this is particularly parents and children, but yeah, I think I want to explore blurring that kind of boundary and maybe I have to surrender this preference of I want to do my own path. You know, how much do I, do I have to come, what I think is come down to a certain level to meet them? Mm. How important, and again, this is like such a fluid subjective topic, but yeah, I just want to explore that. And because I see people, especially now, and and big reason we're having this conversation is in this pandemic, not only society is becoming so divisive, but even family and friends. And it appears that there's this offensiveness between family and friends and this tearing apart of this important connection, which once and has been in the past perhaps a strong, beautiful love. And it's teared, which teared apart from it seems like a very superficial fear state of fear and irrational you know some some negative energy which we call in the Vedas the rakshasa like it's not really them it's some other energy which is tearing apart and creating this offensiveness and this hate so yeah explore navigating that (laughs) (laughs) so you, you you unpacked a whole bunch of things there but there is a correlation between them all and i'll see if i can sort of weave them together in my response to it 
you know, there is a an order in things where in a time where that order prevailed, then listening to the mother would probably be the best thing to do. But we live in such a time where that order does not prevail. And the archetype of the mother is under attack. You know, the, the distortion that is on this planet is so extreme that even for those that have been doing inner work for a very long time are confronted with confusion and overwhelm because of the fear that is generated. What's happening on the planet right now is triggering the deepest primal wounds and fears of everybody. And so it's it's very difficult to trust leaning on any any kind of sort of matriarchal order. The, the, the most important thing, I think, in everything that you just described is being unrelentingly devoted to the inquiry of your own heart, of what feels right for you, because the nature of the karma that's playing out is so complex. The, 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 the water is so tumultuous. You know, if we think about the way in which a pristine lake can emit these gorgeous rings, these ripples, you know, out into the lake if we just drop one little thing. What we're looking at is so tumultuous, layers of distortion and disruption that it's, it's, it feels almost impossible to peer through the lake and, 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 and gleam what is it at the, at the base of it, at the bed of it, to see the, the truth of what it is that is in there. The, the, the principle that I applied before of holding oneself accountable to one's own sensibility and, and, and being as true to that as you possibly can while doing an audit on your susceptibility to the fear that is projected onto you as a result of your position and doing the work required to have sufficient space from those that might be projecting fear onto you to cloud your intuition and to make as a matter of priority your responsibility to really just nurture that final level of feeling about what is appropriate for you and then to relinquish any self-righteousness around that. Mm. Our greatest enemy, in my opinion, (laughs) is our opinions. Our opinions are the biggest problem here because irrespective of what our opinions are about what's going on, there is the truth. And there is an underlying truth that is inherent in our existence. And that is that we belong to each other and that when we do not belong to each other, when we are not embodied in that belonging, we are ill, we become sick. And the more divided we become in a reality where we belong, the more dangerous our existence becomes, the more dangerous we become to each other. There is a kind of inversion in consciousness, a reversing of the charge of love. And that frequency becomes what causes the distortion in that field which we share collectively. And it becomes very difficult to see each other through each other. And the instinct is actually just to create separation. And this is 
you know, the, the mode of operation of that force that you referred to earlier, divide and conquer. So what, what, we, what I believe we need to do as a matter of urgency is to define our position, be very clear about it, and then purify it of any self-righteousness. You're entitled to your own position, and it's great. And then, as a matter of urgency, <laughs> and I, I, think, I think the term urgent is very pertinent to these times, as a matter of urgency, we need to nurture any relationship that is in danger of or susceptible to being torn apart. And the way that we do that is saying, I honor the choices that you make. And I will not project the choices that I make onto you. Because what's most important here is that our hearts remain connected. And that we share in this journey as confronting and challenging as it is. And let us make a commitment to sharing and confronting our fears, being open about what we're fearful about, rather than exercising that fear through our self-righteousness and imposing our opinions on everybody. Let's take one step back from the need to constantly projecting our opinions and just connect with what's driving those opinions. And what's driving those opinions is fear, worry, concern, which one will claim it's out of love. You know, I'm worried for you. It's like, okay, well, right now, I want to assure you that you have no need to worry for me because I feel okay in my heart with the choices that I'm making. What I am worried about is our relationship becoming torn apart because we cannot see how the fear underlying our differences is affecting us. And the unfortunate reality of what we're experiencing right now, and perhaps fortunate, because there is a reckoning taking place and we can talk about this. The unfortunate reality is that the fear is so strong at the moment that it's going to be almost impossible for at least some parties in any dynamic to get there. Mm. They are so entirely and utterly convinced of their perspective as the absolute perspective. And to the best of our ability, have compassion for that bondage and do your best to the extent that you feel you have capacity to do so, to exercise boundaries, but openness. You know, you have the right to say, I respect your opinion. And beyond the differences of our opinion, I still love you. And I still care about you. And I won't reject you because of the way in which you see the world. Because this is the single most important thing that needs to happen right now. And there's so many other ways that we can connect and love, even despite and beyond these opinions. And it's, mm -hmm. just, it's this beautiful, I guess, difference between this deeper, you know, simple, like what you said, like connection heart to heart. Because this fear is causing relationships to be experienced on such a superficial level full of all the fear and all the stress, which is making it so turbulent and yeah, it's divisive. just so hard. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it really is. So we need to move beyond our opinions. The only way that we can bridge the divide is to acknowledge where the divide is because divide is not real. Mm. Unity is the underlying reality. 
That is the truth. And the only way that we are going to arrive back at unity is if we actually surrender up our opinions, our self-righteousness. You know, the, the old saying in relationships, would you rather be happy or right? I always choose happiness. And so I will surrender, you know, the need to be right, the need to be heard, need to be validated to see and to support and to hold space so that we can just reestablish unity again. Because that's the thing that makes the thing happy and joyful <laughs> and worth being in. You know, you can be right, you know, and self-righteous in your truth, but what have you got? Loneliness, isolation, separation, and the degradation of, of the very fabric that affords us life on this planet deterioration of the very fabric that enables us to exist sustainably on this planet. And what we are in danger of is tearing at that fabric so deeply and so aggressively that we may not have the latitude for recovery that would enable us to emerge out of this in a way that would be agreeable to our sensibility. <laughs> if we were to write the ideal scenario, you know, how would we like to emerge out of this? We may miss the boat and or the boat will be very delayed and i think that's helpful to hear for now because people are experienced that it's like am i going to rectify this separation which i'm experiencing with my family or friends and i think in this time while this collective fear and stress is so high it's i mean I know of course it's different but it, it would take more time and i think it's helpful to know that exactly you know what, what's happening here is a reckoning a repayment of a debt we humans have been grossly disconnected from the great mother, the earth, and the great mother, the divine. And furthermore, not only have we been disconnected, but we've been very violent towards her. And she is now lovingly creating circumstance where we have to face the noise. We have to repay the debt uh, within ourselves and with each other. And that means also confronting the insanity that is ensured as a result of that abuse, that disconnection. And the great lesson here is that we cannot live without her. We cannot live without being in deep, sacred reverence for her in every moment. And, you know, until we arrive at that point, it's unlikely for it to correct in any way that's going to see us collectively liberated. And she will, as a loving mother, implement the, the, the sufficient boundaries and constrictions and restrictions <laughs> until we get it. And so it's all it required exciting. is is for us to listen, to listen with sacredness in our heart, not with fear, not with disdain, not with anger and trepidation of the future, but with a soft, loving heart listen to what's being said and what is the end game when we emerge out of this what does it look like make that your play right now yeah so much goodness there i really appreciate this beautiful perspective and so helpful i love what you said about the mother and that matriarchy has kind of been lost as that mother divine expresses itself through humans and through uh you know through the woman but yeah, I guess perhaps to honor the mother divine aspect of consciousness, that part which nourishes and knows it's that great intelligence of what is the best 
and really the even in the Vedas they say like the number one aspect to respect and honor and attend to is mother and then father and then guru so and that mother of course as he said it's been kind of lost we can't always what if my mother's crazy what if she's a drug addict but it's it's that that mother divine the, the divine yeah. aspect yeah that yes. is always there and it's and it's within us and we have mm-hmm. a responsibility to cultivate awareness of you know particularly us men the the embodied expression of femininity at its highest expression. Mm. And that is, that is learning to surrender, learning to surrender our ideas and connect with a deeper intuitive impulse about what is appropriate in this moment and what is not. And it might go against logic and our rationale and our, you know, structured linear thinking. Mm. And we're only required to be a devotee of this. And when we learn this, and it needs to be learned, it's a skill that's cultivated in the face of fear. Uh, when we learn it, we become immensely powerful in being instrumental in assisting not only ourselves but others to learn how to let go and see light between light, the, the cracks of light between the, the chaos and the darkness because there are cracks everywhere. There are opportunities for us to break through what appears to be, you know, encroaching on us and suffocating us. Everyone's feeling very suffocated at the moment with what's going on in the world, but there's, there's cracks everywhere Mm -hmm. that we can, we can peer through and break through. Mm -hmm. We have to understand what enables us, what instruments we use to get in there, open it up and move through. And it is a soft surrendered heart. Mm -hmm. That is the thing that is enabling us to one, see the light, see the opportunity and then exercise the opportunity successfully. And it's tough because, you know, we've been deeply indoctrinated into fear and self-righteousness. <laughs> and that alone is also going to rectify the, or work towards rectifying the relationships. I'm thinking for people who are like, you know, fine, I'm going to do all these things, but there is that yearning within me to still, I wish they could be together with my family, although I've, you know, been honoring that cosmic law of nature and the spiritual aspect, but still like, I just wish my mother would come to terms with me or I wish she would grow up. And of course, there's that saying by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, you can't expect a walnut tree to produce mangoes. So not having expectations of them to go there. But the one thing that we can do or that someone can do is to live in tune and have that soft heart of surrender. And that's got to trigger some connection and positive relationship well what it what it ensures that you're not generating any more karma because mm. from that from that perspective you are operating from beingness you know which is an even steady equanimous perception of reality which is that you know everyone is in a wonderful play of unfoldment and we're being placed in this you know very tight constrained reality right now to force us all to go in and confront really who we are, what we are, what matters, and the, the pathway of liberation, which is to confront fear, look at it for what it, for what it is, to confront our mortality, to confront our ignorance, to confront the legacy of ignorance, not only from our past but our ancestry, and to take responsibility for that to the extent that we can and choose to open up in this moment to 
that that deeper truth of unity. So beautiful. That's all we. That's all we have. Beautiful. And uh, so we'll sh- shift topic a bit. I just want to add. I love. I was in a men's group. I've been, and one of the fellas. They said a beautiful thing. They said, whenever he finds himself getting angry at his parents or hateful or whatever it is, he he just thinks. How dare, how dare I? These were the ones who, you know, birth, she birthed me, my mother birthed me and they changed my nappies and they, you know, fed me and all these things and that kind of puts it to perspective. And I want to talk a, a, a different topic. And another thing which came up in my men's group was more a relationship with parents and grandparents at elder ages and in times of illness. We had this conversation particularly around, you know, like my grandfather had dementia in an old age home for a couple of years and, you know, was very, obviously most of the time didn't feel such a presence. I mean, there definitely was. I enjoyed it. There was a profound relationship with me. But, yeah, for people who maybe can't feel that and for something like specifically dementia or where there's this change of relationship and change of relating and I just, yeah, that it seems also like maybe they're suffering as well. Maybe their body is, for example, my grandfather, he could hardly move. He had to be walked, he had to be, someone had to help him to the toilet. So it's like, I was just pondering, you know, what's the relevance of him staying alive in an old age home where he needs a nurse 24-7 and he's not comfortable? And I asked that to my father, who's his son, and he was just like, but it was the small moments of when we would be singing together or just, even if it was, you know, once a month having a beautiful connection for a number of minutes, like that was worth it and that was the relevance because the love that that sparked. Mm. So I just, yeah, I'm curious to explore that part of the life when, you know, our parents or family are in those different end stages or yeah, well, shift of relationship. My, my father passed of dementia a few years ago was diagnosed at a relatively early age with, you know, early onset, which is very aggressive. And, you know, within a short period of time, he was like a, like a ghost, you know, it was, there was, yeah, he was unable to look after himself at all. He was in a, a, an aged care facility. And unfortunately, because of our relationship with his wife, we weren't able to sort of take lead on his care. And so we were always at having to accept her, the decisions that she was making for the way that all took place. And uh, so, you know, on our visits with him, I'd sit with him quietly and just connect deeply with his soul. And there was still a, a presence. He was there. It was just that the physiology wasn't able to process the experience because of accumulated karma. There was an unsustainable amount of ignorance that culminated in a breakdown of his physiology. Like that was, I could see it so clearly. And it wasn't just this lifetime, it was lifetimes worth. And and it was also ancestral because it was a legacy that he inherited from his parents. You know, some of the lifestyle decisions that he made and whatever he inherited. So he was paying off that karma as well. And the fact that I was able to sit there as his son and witness it, he was providing me with a gift of insight about all the, you know, the unsustainability of things and to, to, to witness how 
that the physiology can give way and trap the soul and the body for a period of time. And, you know, he held on for years and years. It's like, my goodness, when is he going to let go? And, um, you know, much like your father and the experiences shared, the, the, the very special little moments that they had, I was able to come back with my baby daughter and visit him with my wife. And I was always, you know, because we were living in New York at the time and he was on the central coast in Australia, New South Wales. Uh, we were able to bring her back and go and visit him. And he was like, you know, he had no control over anything really other than he could he could get up and walk. But, you know, he wore nappies. He was, he was like a baby, you know, that could walk and was not there. You could stand straight in front of him and wave your hand and nothing would happen. Mm. There was nothing, no, no recognition of reality as far as how we would describe it. But he was somewhere having some kind of experience, but it was just far, far away. And one of the most extraordinary memories of the whole time of him being in this demented state was when I placed her on his lap and immediately his hand went to her leg and he started stroking her leg. <laughs> and I, we all just like <clears throat> erupted <laughs> into tears. It was like, and I got it on you know, video. I got to film it. It was mm. like he had no, the implications of it was he's in there. <laughs> he knows. Mm. And he knew that I was bringing his daughter, his granddaughter, and she was sitting on his lap and he was able to like stroke her leg. Mm -hmm. It was, oh, it was so extraordinary. I'm like, okay, you're still here. You know, we, we can't assume that because we can't have, you know, mm. coherent cognitive exchange, you're still having an experience all the way, somewhere deep, deep, deep down inside there. Mm -hmm. And you're able to, for a moment, reach out and just get control of your hand for a moment just to caress her leg. It was, it just, it blew my mind and my heart and everything. And, and it deepened my relationship with him because part, you know, you go through the stages of grief as your father will attest, you know, in the demented state, you look at them, you go, this may be the, every time I went to see him, I'm like, goodbye. I said goodbye to him. Maybe you know, 25 times in the seven years that he was in the home. Every time I went, it was like, bye, I might not see you again. And the, the next time I did get to see him, I was just so grateful that it was mm. the time that he was choosing to, to let go and I got to hold his hand and, you know, do mantras and, mm. and be there as he took his last breath, you know, with the family there. It was How long before... He dropped his body. Was that incident with your daughter? Not long. It was like he was holding on. Like there was yeah, some. Is yeah. that what you're insinuating that he was perhaps holding on for her? Well, well, well my experience with my grandfather is that awareness is kind of there when they want to, and perhaps potentially at the end of my grandfather's life, I could. And I remember like the week before seeing him before he dropped his body and. He, he showed up with this more attentive connection to me, whether before he would just be not really looking at me and lack of human. But the week before, he was really looking into my eyes and I could, he was telling me, I could see like, I'm going to drop my body soon. 
Right. Um, so he he brought out this extra right. connection. So I I feel it's there when they want it or when they really they can dig it out, and that's why you know yeah. your father could now, move his arm. Love. It was love. There was yes. You know, love created a a, a bridge for them mm. to cross the divide of you know the demented reality into this reality again for a moment to just mm. say something, and. Yeah. You know, he said everything by just stroking her leg. He said, you know, I see you, I'm proud of you, I love you, I've got a granddaughter. It's, you know, mm. it's, it's extraordinary. So, so much so much was learnt for me in that. And so for people that are experiencing this, watching their one of their parents or loved ones in, you know, deteriorating either through some sort of mental illness, cognitive illness, or any kind of illness, you know, it's... There, there's just so much for us to learn and to understand for them and for us. And it's it all comes down to karma. It's like they can only drop the body when the body is ready to be dropped. You know, there is a point where it reaches a it, it's it's its end. And that severance between the spirit, you know, the Mayakoshas begin to peel away and they become free again for a moment <laughs> i'm assured he'll be he's he's, he's in a body again you mm-hmm. know <laughs> or he will be very soon and it, it was yeah it was it was it was a magnificent experience his passing was a magnificent experience mm-hmm. as yeah. passing is and it only requires that we we move through those layers and i was fortunate enough to grieve him over many years and then you know it made it a lot easier to be with him in his in his passing Hmm. Um, moving on to kind of the involving in the circle of life comes the rebirth or the reincarnation rather. And you know, I'd love to touch on the Vedic worldview of choosing your family, hmm. choosing where you are born, choosing the womb which you enter hmm. because it's, you know, it's, I'll just give one example of the many, 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 but you know, just it's fascinating to see my teachers who are a family of Ayurvedic doctors, quite a large family. It, every single person becomes an Ayurvedic doctor. And, you know, whether it's one of them might come in, they might say it's their father who then is coming through the daughter of or the son of someone. So, yeah, just just that concept for 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 people listening as well who may be having a child in the future or who may be birthing into someone else's family in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is, you know, most of us. Um, <laughs> you know. Why wouldn't it be? Where, where else would we birth into? An animal? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're or, or, you know, we, we become the ocean. Again. Enlightened. Moksha, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. You know, where it's all heading. Mm. Yeah, so the, the way I see it, at least, you know, from the, the abstract recollection I have of the time in which I was presented with options about who I could incarnate. Um, it, I, I recall there being options of like various outcomes that were always presented to me in the context of greater merit spiritually more than, you know, there was always in the context of greater merit spiritually because that was, that was all I had coming to me. It was like, you know, yeah. And so the, 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 the choices weren't broad. It was like, 
this, this or this, you know, kind of like, mm. and it was clear. It was like that, let's go sort of thing. And it was very much to do with what the constraints that I was going to require in order to free what needed to be freed and confronted and how I might be able to support, you know, my family members either directly or indirectly. And, yeah, so I, I, I certainly do have a, a sense of it, uh, but not like, you know, a visual, like I'm sitting there at a desk and they're like, you know, they slide the photographs, oh, you got this family, this family, or this family, you know, like it's, it was, it's far more abstract than that. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that it's like that. And like the stream, you know, some people have broader latitude with greater greater choice and others are like, no, this is where you're going this time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because of decisions not being made in previous incarnation and, and you're sort of avoiding the inevitable, the inevitable has now arrived and, you know, this is the lifetime that you have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so, boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like I had a little bit of latitude, but, you know, I'm a big one for choicelessness. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not have a choice. I'd rather just there be one option and it's the right one and let's go, mm-hmm. let's get it done. <laughs> it was, and it, it feels like it was like that. Cool, beautiful. You know, I look, I look at my life and how it's unfolded. Mm. It's, it's absolutely perfect in, in the way in which it's led me to this place yes. that, I'm at, that I'm at now. I just want to end with, or even if we sum up action steps for people to take to enhance family and friendship relationships. And one was, you know, just surrendering. And if it's relevant for you to take space and detach for a bit, then do that. Complete compassion. Yeah, if you could, and if you want to add anything else practical. Yeah, all of those things. The summary would be, again, to reflect on the extent, you know, and we're always always doing this audit from our higher self, the aspect of ourself that doesn't require anyone to behave in a particular kind of way for us to be in our full power and the, the, the full extent of our love. Now, that doesn't mean that we bypass pain that we bypass, you know, the feeling of being neglected or not seen or whatever. But in our healing, true healing can only really emerge when we embrace the deepest truth, the deepest power, which is our capacity to love through all of this, to write a new script that is the story of love, which is I overcame my pain through being able to love through it, understand that, and, and have compassion for all the players that were participating in, the affli- in my affliction. So the extent to which you can go there, nurture it, and then be very real about the pain that you have and the extent to which you are triggered by being in their presence and how that triggering can cause behaviour that might keep you stuck in a cycle of dysfunction. And the extent to which you have capacity or lack it is where you put the the goalposts for your boundaries. Okay, when I move too far in, that happens, I lose myself and a shit show ensues. <laughs> but if I, if I remain, you know, within the boundary, I can always remain in contact with that deeper truth, remain open with compassion and gently, you know, engage and learn incrementally. And that, that's enough. That's enough. As long as there is openness and there is forward motion, there's evolution, there's healing taking place through acceptance. That's enough. 
and we you don't have to you know be in the lovey-dovey embrace you know you can have space you can take your distance and there's no wrong or right there is only what is appropriate for your sensibility mm. don't let anybody impose a narrative on you about what they, they what their expectations of you are what they think you need to do you know no one should have an opinion about that other than yourself and if we really want to heal we we respect everybody's opinions to the extent that we can we don't need to agree with them it's like okay you're having an experience over there that's very different to mine i can either be at odds with your worldview or i can you know attempt to to understand it and higher consciousness can understand and reconcile anything the truth is we have the capacity within us to reconcile everything we can understand it if we lend ourselves it's only our pain that drives us in the corner of our opinions that, that gets us all self-righteous and resistant to consider alternative realities that's beautiful you know which are all emergent out of an underlying reality a universal truth is where where we're seeking to establish ourselves. Let's not lose sight of that. Again, I said it before, you know, imagine what the end game is. Make that your play now. Where are we heading? Where are you heading in all this work that you're doing on yourself? Make that your play now. Hmm. Don't wait. It requires that you make it that your play now. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Beautiful. Back to the roots, very foundational approach. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if anyone wants to hear more from Johnny, you can check out the One Giant Mind podcast. Yep. And how else can people soak up more of your wisdom or connect with you or learn from you in uh, various ways? I'm attempting to work out how to make myself more available. um so we we've got a a group meditation that happens online zoom for all practitioners of a being technique you know the vmtm one giant mind sahaja you know any technique that uses a mantra that enables you to transcend into being so all all are welcome to attend that and there's a link floating about (laughs) we don't have a mailing list you know we don't send out texts it's you know it's every it's every Thursday night at seven PM Australian Eastern Standard Time, and we we share an experience of meditation, and then I open it up to Q and A, and I share my perspective on things that people are experiencing, and it's it's really really nice. And we've gone online because you know we can't do things in person in the way that we like to here at the moment. We'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah, there you go. That'd be a smart thing to do. Yes. <laughs> but I kind of like the fact that it's sort of, you know, mm. <laughs> just floating around out there. So you still got to find in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've written a book called The Golden Sequence, mm. which is a, a very practical sort of handbook for how to reclaim your power and your humanity. Um, that's available on um there's an audio book and there's also a book you can buy and read. Um, how else you can, you know, if, if you're interested in sharing this wisdom and, and teaching, you can join One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training. In a short time in the future, I'll be running Vedic Meditation Teacher Training. So, you know, you can 
inquire about that. I'm, I'm hoping uh, in time, once, you know, we get over the sort of the hump with having two kids and adjusting to that lifestyle, mm-hmm. I'll be generating more audio-based content that will be available on my website Beautiful. through the app and other things. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Beautiful. Thanks so much for today, Johnny. It's my pleasure. Very, it's always very relevant. Having great juicy conversations with you. Yes. Much love, brother. Yeah, same to you, mate. Lots of love. Thank you. Such important stuff. So I'm sure you'll want to share it, particularly probably with some family members. Very interesting, very interesting topic. And I, I wish you well. I would love you to share if you feel to share how what actions you take from this. Are you going to take any actions with your family? How do you change, react? Go for it. Share. This will help that process if that is what you want to enliven in your life and attend to more. So do an Instagram post and tag Michael Vader and Johnny and one and one giant mind, or email us whatever you want to do. Leave a review about it; it'd be much appreciated. And as I said, it'll enhance you. So, check out the other episodes. Once again, episode number twenty-two is another episode with Johnny Pollard on absolutely addressing anxiety. Check out Johnny's work. And until next time, much love. Yeah.